Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Please delete as appropriate. Hello there, and welcome to this episode number 384 of the Material Podcast. I'm Andy Notko doing a solo this week because, unfortunately, flow is out this week. Um, nothing dire, nothing desperate, just a horrible, horrible, <laughs> horrible week for um, – you know, she, she has this thing called a child. And she has the the model that is uh, like three, four years old. And I don't know if like those of you who've not had this product before, it is a lot like a Roomba. Only uh, instead of sucking up like uh, dust and dirt from the carpets in a room of your house, uh, it goes out and sucks up all the germs, all the viruses, all the bacteria in the entire extended community of like your social and community group. And and uh, and it covers like not just one house, but everywhere brings it back home to you and then basically kisses you on the face and make sure that you get whatever horrible, horrible, horrible thing is going around the community and get it like three times in a row. So she was a little bit sick this week. So I am doing this. I'm doing the show solo. I'm also doing the show late this week. I'm very, very sorry about that. Uh, it no real excuse. It's just, uh, it's, 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 uh, I've, I've discussed this before, I think last year where, uh, the, it's easiest to do the show solo when I have no ambitions and no good ideas. When I just simply sit down and record a show. Unfortunately, I had a lot of quote, great ideas this week. And a lot of them were like, Oh, that's not good enough. Let's, let's do that again. And let's rewrite this. And so, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's entirely on me. Uh Oops, there you go. Just drop my just drop my mic a little bit. Uh so so that was that was entirely on me and I apologize. Now uh I have have, have to have a conversation with myself because we, I am doing a solo, but fortunately uh, I, we haven't talked about Halloween this year. Now uh I'm we're right now as I record this, it is uh it is November sixth, and so Halloween was last weekend. Uh but I'm still benefiting from it because uh, I, as, as I've covered before, I, I live in like sort of like the Times Square of a, of a quaint New England visual, a village, which means that the, the stores all have like Halloween buckets so that like when little kids come trick or treating in the business neighborhood, they have little candies. And now it would have been uh, untoward for me to on, you know, Halloween or the day before or the day before that to be digging my grubby middle-aged hands through and going past the, the Mary Janes and the little like sweet tart packets Ooh, there's the mini snickers however it's now several days later and like i feel like it's open game i feel like the kids have had their shot at all these buckets so every time like i go get uh, just today i got like a two liter bottle of soda uh, for the house at the at the convenience store and just yeah i'm, I'm so yeah i help myself to like three or four or five of the ones that we're getting kind of low but i feel like i'm helping out these businesses by helping them to get rid of this stuff before it like goes bad uh but you know it's uh, there's a lot of this stuff so maybe it's a fire hazard if it wound up like blocking the fire exits also i i did actually get a thank you from one of the clerks after so I, I felt as though I should ask, oh, is okay if I rummage through and get some Snickers? And, and she was like, oh, my God, please, thank thank you, take them, because I've been nibbling on these all day long. So, you see, I, I, I am a community service person, okay? I'm a valued part of this. So by, again, walking out of there with a big fistful of M&M Mars uh, fun size candies, I am proving my worth to this universe. I can, I can march into that open grave before me with my held, head held high. Actually, I probably wouldn't want to do that because... 
maybe someone wouldn't help me out. They would just start shuffling and don't want to uh, miss that golden opportunity. Uh, but yeah, so, but there is sort of an interesting story, <laughs> an evolution story that, that that's been going on for the entire year. Now, uh, last year I did go to, uh, I did go to, uh, uh, a, a, a production of Turandot at the Met on Halloween weekend dressed as Boba Fett. And I, I, we, I, we talked about this before where I, I thought it was an interesting sort of challenge to put together uh, an outfit that is just standard regular clothing that uh, is unmistakably Boba Fett to somebody who has like Boba Fett or Star Wars on their mind, but to people who are not thinking that way would not basically give me a second glance. That was a really fun challenge. I was looking forward to it. Uh, and it was a very organic sort of thing to do because I just happened to have tickets for, for turn dot that weekend. Uh, one of my favorite sopranos, Christine Gerke, uh, was singing the lead role. I missed her. She was, I was supposed to see her during the pandemic. Uh, she's a, she's, um, she was one of the top, 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 uh, uh, performers for like Wagnerian, like the ring cycle, the Valkyrie, that sort of stuff. I had missed out on that because of the, because of the pandemic, but I got, so I got tickets to see her like, and I didn't, didn't, didn't kind of realize at the time, but Hey, yes, this is Halloween weekend. And it sort of built up from there. So like I'm saying, very, very organic. Now I was, I was planning on doing it again this year because I had such a good time with it last year. And I kind of had fun sort of teasing people on my Instagram uh, by saying, "Oh no, I'm not. Am I going to go in in a in in, in a Boba Fett costume?" Uh, to to, to uh, there's like three months in advance. Nope, 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 nope. I just happened to have bought these gloves, or I just happened to have bought this jacket, or I just happened to have bought this whatever. I haven't decided yet. So back, back off. Like, stop, stop, stop hounding me, you jackals. You know, I've <laughs> this is a scurrilous rumor. I am not going to refuse. I refuse to to participate in the, in, the, in this rumor mongering. And I kind of enjoyed that too. And as it happened, I did think about I, I did come to mind almost immediately like another costume that would work exactly in that same fashion where people who don't know this character wouldn't give me a second glance because it's all standard clothing but people who did know who were fans of the prisoner this wonderful tv show from the 1960s with patrick mcguin uh would say dude and uh, see so yeah so i i was putting together a, a costume for uh, it's it's hard to explain as, because it has something to do with a prisoner, and this is one of the most the hardest to explain, like sci-fi slash fantasy slash spy <laughs> dramas that has ever been on. We we it's the it's been over for uh, for forty fifty years now, and we are still trying to figure out exactly what happened. But the person who is like the head of this very very strange village slash prison for ex-spies, ex-military, ex-whatever. Um, has a signature outfit, and it's just like a casual outfit uh, with a couple of signature elements to it. And uh, as soon as I thought of it, I said, oh, but actually, I, I even actually already own like 90% of the clothing that I would need for this. I've got a black suit coat jacket. I've got, for the Boba Fett costume, I actually bought like a gray mock turtleneck, <laughs> tan trousers, there you go. Uh, the only I only needed a few things the, there are only a couple of signature things associated with this costume. Uh, one of which is this weird sort of like uh, it's called. A, I learned later it's called a shooting stick. It's an umbrella that the handle kind of folds out and forms into sort of a rudimentary stick, so that you could just sort of like uh, put the tip of it like into the ground and sort of not sit down, but at least lean against it uh, with your butt. 
and uh, as it turns out, this was a it's it's a British company that's been making these for a hundred years, continues to make them. I discovered that oh, well, how, how much would it be to to buy one of these? Like oh, one hundred and sixty eight dollars. No, 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 no. That's not worth one hundred and sixty eight dollars of my money. Oh well. But I did have a an eBay alert set up. Okay, well, if if this turns up at this ridiculous price that we'll never find. Uh, please alert me. And yeah, okay. So I, I got it for like $35. At that point, I was kind of off and running. That was back in February. Uh, I needed a, a, a scarf, like a collegiate scarf, like you'd see, like a, the, uh, like Oxford, like rowing <laughs> Oxford at, at a rowing competition or whatever. And I felt like, yeah, I need to get that. And this is why I love the internet. This is why I love Google or Google search for almost anything you can think of. There is that guy there's the guy might be a woman but i'm not not saying they're they're all male but there's there's somebody who was so obsessed with this that they had to find something out and they found it out and they were nice enough to post about it on a message board or or a blog or or a youtube video and it turns out that you can't they they didn't manage to identify the exact college scarf that number two wore uh that that was the name number two the question being who is number one in this village that was actually part of the opening credits uh, that so it wasn't they didn't find out what college it was, but somebody found out that there is because there's so many colleges in uh, in England uh, and in Great Britain that have their own like unique uh, scarves. There is like a collegiate scarf company that has like dozens and dozens of like pre-made just to hey, what's the name of your college? Great, here's your scarf. But they also have like an online like custom scarf maker. So you, you, you select like a, a pattern of stripes that you want. And then for each stripe, you select the color you want. So this person figured that, found that out and found like the, the, the right pattern for this, for, that you would need for this costume scarf. And once again, I, I was like, oh, how much would it cost? Ah, $73. Ah, no, that's maybe, that might be too much. And, and then the next time I checked the dollar, like the, 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 the value of the dollar or the value of the pound had crashed. And now it was almost like one to one, the exchange rate. So it came down to like $40. And once again, I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't know that I, 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 I'm making these jokes on Instagram about how, Oh, do I, do I, I, you jackals. I yes, I just happen to have bought this umbrella, but I'm not, I haven't decided to, to cosplay. Haven't even decided, even if I were going to be cross cosplay, I didn't know what I was going to do. So, uh, you know what? I don't, I don't know if I'm going to want to do this, but it's, this is not, this is not the sort of thing where I could do it at last minute. So I got that. There's a badge, found that, uh, a pair of sneakers that was a little bit just good, just interesting enough that I probably wanted to have them. Got those two. So I was all set up. The only thing that I was missing was a good reason to go to the Met on Halloween weekend. Like I said, last time it was, I just happened to have tickets to a show I absolutely wanted to go to. And so I looked at the schedule and there was really nothing that was really exciting me about going there. Mostly uh, the shows that they had that were in repertory. Uh, And one of them, the one that would worked up would have worked out best uh, for that date were, would have been La Traviata. And one of the most famous operas, one of the most popular operas of all time, they just did a brand new staging of it. Like every now and then they refresh it by, uh, new sets, new, new costumes, new, uh, and them, they might make little changes to sort of reinterpret, not in a big way, but basically a director puts their own style and their own stamp on it. And that becomes the version that they, they, they do, uh, like, uh, uh, eight times during the early season, then eight times, uh, over the next year, the next season. 
and I'd already seen it, and it wasn't it wasn't actually great. The performers were wonderful. The person who's going to be who would be singing the lead is someone that I really liked, but I wasn't feeling it. And Tosca, eh, the thing is, I really wasn't feeling it. And as it happened, I'd already been already been to the Met like twice in October, and it seemed like, uh, oh dear, am I really going to go a third time? Um, and I do go, I I do tend to I have I've mastered the art of riffraff opera of going there really really on the cheap when it cost me a lot of money i'd already gotten i already bought like really really cheap amtrak tickets but the thing is i just wasn't feeling it and even though i had this costume kind of ready to go and i'd been sort of teasing people on instagram i finally decided that that's not a good enough reason you know if if it's organic that's good if you're doing it because you know, you just want to say that you did it or you kind of want to do something amusing on social media. That's not good enough. And uh, I, I don't make money off of social media. So it's not as though this is like, oh, I've got sponsors lined up. I've got <laughs> I've got I'm going to be meeting up with someone's someone and so forth. We're doing a collab, whatever it is that people do. It wasn't enough. But there was a second opportunity to go to to use this costume. And uh, there was the last uh, Comic-Con of the year that uh they had uh the on my personal schedule there are one two three four eligible comic-con science fiction con media what they're called this this uh, nowadays because now it's a lot of it's just meeting pro wrestlers and getting a tattoo they're great stuff it's just i'm 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 impressed with how like in the 1990s it used to all be about just dealers selling comic books uh, and uh, and meeting artists and meeting writers, and now it really is just this place for. Uh, it, it's more of an egalitarian spot for people who are just fans of lots of different communities, coming with their kids, with their families. It, it really is quite wonderful. Uh, but so each one has a different flavor. Uh, there is uh, uh, there is uh, New York Comic Con, which is huge. I wasn't really ready to go to that one yet because there was no mask mandate, and I'm not ready in 2022 uh, to be in the, a huge crowd like that without uh, without a mask. There is Boston Comic Con in uh, in August, which is a big big media con. There is the people who used to run Boston Comic Con before they sold it to the comp- the big national company that runs conventions and turned to Boston Comic Con. Uh started a new con- new con this year called Wicked Comic Con, which again I wasn't ready to go to, so I didn't go to. But the the last one uh, the, my last chance every year is Rhode Island Comic Con. So these are all like cons where it's easy for me to get to and I don't necessarily have to book a hotel room to 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 go see these things. And so that was this weekend. And uh, once again, I just wasn't feeling it. Uh and, and it wasn't and it wasn't that I was uh, uh, the idea of going to a Comic Con disgusted me. And for Rhode Island Comic Con, I had even sort of lost out on the excuse of COVID. Because at this point, I've I, I've had my two. <laughs> I, I, I'm fully inoculated and boosted. I've got the brand new booster too for for the new variants. Um, we know a lot more about, of course, about prevention uh, and the odds than we did last year. And I felt like uh, I think it would be kind of okay if I go with an uh, a full N95 mask. And I'm still like a little bit careful because it's it's not just walking around in costume. I actually have never walked around in costume uh, at a comic con. I love being there with my camera and taking pictures of the cosplayers and uh, the photography uh, and occasionally moderating panels and stuff like that. Um, but the thing is, I just wasn't feeling it. This was, this is the easiest con for me to go to as well. Um, but I just wasn't feeling it. So I'm okay with that. But especially as I get older, 
I start thinking a lot about, I have to navigate the difference between, are you not going because you're just not feeling it, which is perfectly legitimate. You don't have to force yourself to go out there because uh, out of routine, out of a sense of self-obligation or something like this. Um, I, I feel like it's very, very important to know the reasons why you're doing the things that you're doing. And if you don't have a good reason, then you should ask yourself why you're doing it at all. This is this will help to short circuit things that you're doing just simply out of habit. Um, there, are collect, there are things I, I used to collect. I stopped collecting because it really did turn into that, that I'm just doing it out of habit now. I don't it doesn't give me pleasure to the uh, to, to acquire new things for this collection. I'm just doing it because, oh, it's out there. I collect this thing. I'll go get that thing. So in that, in that case, it's a very good thing, very positive thing. But the other side of that is sometimes you can talk yourself out of doing fun things because sometimes the fun requires effort and you're just in a state of inertia, physical inertia, emotional inertia, intellectual inertia, where you just realize that watching movies inside my house would be <laughs> is a lot more attractive at this moment than arranging transportation to a convention hall, waiting in some lines, walking around, being on your feet all day, figuring out how to get lunch. And in the abstract, it feels like, ah, but wouldn't my, wouldn't my Saturday be a lot simpler if I just stayed at home, just went for a nice walk, maybe went out and get an ice cream. And that is true. <laughs> my life would be a lot simpler, but it wouldn't be quite so adventuresome. Uh, there's not a lot of adventure inside my house. I'm glad to say, I don't, I see, I don't have like a, a I don't have possums or raccoons, like invading my house. They're Halloween notwithstanding. I don't have, you know, zombies coming in or anything like that. This, my, my house is very, very drama free, but that is not like how you're meant to live your life in toto. You're supposed to, sometimes you have to put yourself out there. And the number of times where uh, I've had that conversation with myself and told myself that, no, 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 you don't, I know, I know you could cancel out on this, but you're, it's, you're only thinking that way because it's eight 30 in the morning and you've been awake for 20 minutes and you're still in bed and you're thinking about how difficult it's going to be to get to the, get to the train station on time and all this sort of stuff. I guarantee you that once, once you're standing outside waiting for that Uber to pick you up and take you to the train station, you will be eager and excited about this trip that you've been planning to take for two or three months now and doggone it. I'm right. So it's sometimes it's a fight between the little child in me that doesn't that that honest to God does not want to pack to go to Disneyland. It doesn't want to wake up early to go to Disneyland and wants to, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to miss like a, I'm going to miss soccer practice, the big soccer game with my friends in two, in two days from now to go to soccer, to, to go to Disneyland. But then the parrot has to say, I don't care if you're if you're fussy. I don't care if you're Utsi. You're, you're getting dressed. We're going to the airport. We're going to Disneyland. And of course, he's excited about going to Disneyland. So it's it's a negotiation that I sometimes have problems with. Um, I did have, in addition to scarfing free candy after after Halloween for from uh, all the neighbor neighborhood businesses, uh, I did have uh, one piece of fun uh, on Halloween night. So again busy ish downtown for, 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 for a, a quaint New England village place. Um, and it's a place where people are often walking and God, 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 do I know that because it's been very, very warm. I've had the windows all the way open. So I, I can hear like all the like loud conversations and stuff like that. It's, it's not a, it's not annoying, but it's like, there's always, there's a constant stream of humanity, uh, especially like on a Friday, Friday night and Saturday night. 
And so I did something that I've been wanting to do for a couple of years now, ever since I found there is uh, on YouTube, and we will include a, a link to this in the show notes. Someone has cut together a loop of uh, just the dance part of Michael Jackson's Thriller. You know, it's a dun dun and just that that just the instrumental like dance section and cut that together into a 10 hour long loop so my friends this is makes this google appropriate i took like all three of my google home mac speakers the big ones put them into the windows facing the street <laughs> facing that sidewalk and <laughs> yes i'm sorry i'm very i'm very proud of myself for this for 4 hours from like 6 p.m. To 10 p.m., there was just dun, dun, dicky, 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 dinky, dun, 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 playing on this long, long stretch of sidewalk. And my friends, I did catch some people doing the thriller dance, like just walk, they're walking to back to their cars or walking from their cars to the restaurant. And suddenly I see them do like the, 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 the zombie, the swinging arms part. And I, I, I felt as though I, God had put me on the earth. And put me in this house, in this place, on this night, for this reason, and I had accomplished that reason. So it was a it was a merry Thanksgiving after all. Okay, three problems with that. I will leave you to figure out what that was, but we're going to be be moving forward. Um, before we get on with uh, with the rest of the show and our first break, I do want to uh, remind people that Google Hangouts is dead. It is officially terminated, uh, dropped, not working anymore, uh, canceled, expired. Uh, rung down the curtain, join the choir invisible. Now we, we make a lot of, we, we poke fun at Google for launching messaging platforms and canceling them almost immediately. But uh, each one of these does serve a really, really good purpose that every time Google cancels a messaging platform, I remember that it's probably time for me to replace the batteries in my smoke detectors. So uh, I, I encourage you to have that same attitude towards uh, Google's lack of commitment for messaging platforms. Well, even though you only got me this time and you've got me kind of late this time, uh, pretty good show this time. Uh, I did buy the Google Nest Wi-Fi Pro, their brand new version of their mesh networking, uh, wireless networking uh, pods. Uh, they they did arrive on schedule like on just a couple of days before Halloween. And so I'm going to let you know how that worked out. I've been having I've had them for about a week now. Uh, and also Google had their <laughs> I don't know how to call it. They're, they're a, a hour long live presentation uh, in which they talked about what the Google is working on regarding AI. I'm saying that I don't know how, what to call it because it's technically called Google AI at sign. Google AI at sign. Again, you, Google, this is not just a print medium anymore. This journalism and commentarying, we have to say these things out loud and throw us a bone. And give us something that is easy to pronounce and very, very definitive. But anyway, a uh, lot of interesting announcements, mostly about messaging, mostly about here is our flag, uh, proudly may it wave. Uh, but the, enough that it's uh, it was very, very much worth watching the entire hour-long presentation. All this and maybe some more stuff. Uh, what is great text? You will find out soon enough after this message. Hang on. 
If you love drinking coffee every morning, and who doesn't, you have to check out Trade Coffee. Trade makes it super easy to get the best coffee delivered fresh from the finest local roasters around the country. Trade Coffee is a coffee subscription service that makes it so simple for you to discover new coffees and make your best cup of coffee at home every day. No fancy equipment required. It's so easy to upgrade your coffee routine with Trade. Trade partners with the nation's top rated independent roasters to send you coffee they know you'll love. And it'll be sent fresh to your home and on your preferred schedule. Plus, you get to support small local businesses. A win-win. Whether you already know what you like or are new to specialty coffee and need some help, Trade makes it easy and convenient to discover new coffees. They'll send you ground coffee or whole beans for however you make your coffee at home. I make my coffee with a French press and I like to grind it coarsely before they go in. I really like Trade because I'm actually getting introduced to coffees that are a little more closer that I've never heard of. The coffee that I got in this week, for instance, is from Lake Tahoe. Now, I live in Northern California. Lake Tahoe is only a three-hour drive away, but it's not like I get to go often and try the coffee scene up there. So it's kind of nice to be able to have it come to my doorstep. So whether you're just getting started or a coffee aficionado looking to discover something new, Trade guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll send you a new one for free. Upgrade your coffee today with Trade Coffee and let them take the guesswork out of finding your perfect cup. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your subscription plus free shipping at drinktrade.com material. That's D-R-I-N-K-T-R-A-D-E dot com slash material for 30% off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. Drinktrade.com slash material. Our thanks to Trade Coffee for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Well, I found myself in kind of a pickle uh, about a month and a half ago. This was no amount of product marketing for a hardware company is going to be as effective as just simply offering the right thing at the right time to the right person who's in the right kind of predicament. And uh, this was my. This is how I wound up buying a Google Nest Wi-Fi Pro, which uh, just shipped actually another couple of days before Halloween. I've been using it for a little over a week now, uh, and I like it. Uh, I can recommend it. Although, listen, keep listening for my actual uh, actual stories about it. But uh, and I don't want you to think that it's. I bought this because I I did a a broad assessment and a critical analysis of every single Wi-Fi router out there, mesh router out there, and I decided that the Google Nest Wi-Fi Pro was clearly hands down the correct choice for me. It was just a lot of circumstances that came together. Amongst them was the fact that uh, my uh, my mesh network is done by Eero. Uh, this was I've it's been my mesh network since before Eero was bought by uh, bought by uh, Amazon and became an Amazon product. So that was strike one. I just I, I didn't like that, but it's not as though I took down this network to uh, just to thumb my nose at uh, at Amazon. It still worked fine. Unfortunately, in October, uh, Amazon announced that oh well, by the way, your first generation hardware we're no longer going to be supporting it. Supporting it, we're not we're no longer going to be. Uh, pushing out security updates, which was the biggest like concern for me. And so, uh, dang it. Okay. I really shouldn't keep using something, a, a networking thing, a thing that is, uh, that has a, an open door towards the internet. Uh, that's not getting security updates anymore. And also it was pretty long in the tooth. It was something like five or six years old and networking wireless networking has changed a lot since then. This was one of the first like easy to use mesh networking setups that you could get out there. Uh, I, I certainly wasn't going to replace it with another Amazon because I, I, I like to reduce my 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 
my surface towards Amazon as much as possible. I don't trust them. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't trust them to do things that are ultimately in my interests. So the, this uh, coordinate, so my need to get a new Wi-Fi router hooked up with number two, the announcement of Google's, hey, we got this new thing, Google Nest Wi-Fi Pro. And also the fact that I had a hundred and something dollars worth of Google store credit that was going to expire in mid-November. And so I had to use it or lose it. So the idea of this $200 brand new mesh networking setup that supports aggressively uh, the newest standards that, that were that are available today and that I could get it for roughly $99 that was a pretty easy decision for me, especially because it meant that I wasn't going to be throwing a hundred dollars basically out the window. Uh, at, well, okay. C conceivably I could be throwing a hundred dollars out the window, but that it would only, it, that would be in lieu of spending, of th throwing $200 out the window towards possibly a horrible, horrible product. But yeah, but it's, but it's worked out great. When I say free future proof, there, there have been so many changes. The, uh, uh, I don't think my old router was Wi-Fi 6. Mine was only Wi-Fi 5. This is uh, this uh, Google Nest Wi-Fi Pro is Wi-Fi 6E, which is the brand new uh, 6, uh, 6 megahertz uh, 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 radio band. And that's a big – it's a big deal if you live like in a congested area congested area because – Everybody, the the lower the lower frequency bands are starting to get saturated. They might have already be saturated, depending on where you live. This gives you like extra headroom uh, over uh, over the, those other uh, uh, Wi-Fi five and before bands. The with the trade off being that uh, I'm sorry, Wi-Fi six and Wi-Fi five bands. With the trade off being that uh, the higher frequency radio frequencies don't penetrate and don't propagate as far as the lower frequency bands. So in a setup like mine, where I live in an apartment, it's not a big compound. That's not a big deal. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of all the same. I don't necessarily even need a mesh network uh, and it all, all works fine. Uh, I like the fact that it has uh, radios that uh, support thread. It'll be, it'll work really good with uh, matter. So all this uh, internet of things, things or, <laughs> or uh, internet, internet connected home devices are going to work really, really fine with it. What I also like about it is that uh, at least when I first bought into uh, mesh networking, you have to, one unit is the, is the base unit. The others are the remote units. And so you kind of have to plan things out. What I do like about this is that, this uh, this first one that I get will work just as a single unit, and if and when I decide to extend networks, I can simply buy more, and each one of these will have the same sort of capability, the same sort of function. I don't have to. Uh, if the 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 problem with uh, these uh, with my Eero setup is that that uh, and my previous uh, Google Wi-Fi setup is that. I have one unit that can be used as a Wi-Fi base station, and I paid money for these extra little pods that are useless unless they're connected to a Google Wi-Fi uh, base station. So whereas if I, could, if I were to continue to invest and expand this network, I will be buying more uh, Wi-Fi 6E base stations and without necessarily spending a whole lot, of my, whole lot more money for them. So that's going to work out really, really well. The other big thing that I wanted out of this, and that's simply, certainly paid off, is that um, Wi-Fi 6E is, not, is a very, very new, which means that the first 
uh, access points and mesh networks to use them tend to be kind of on the pro side. I think I will say that, yes, I know the Google Nest Wi-Fi Pro has the word pro in it. I do think it's more of a consumer level thing, honestly. But when you look at the co- competition from uh, Eero and Netgear, which are the two most popular alternatives to this, they are mostly intended for people who need Wi-Fi 6E as a solution to a problem. And so they do cost like double what this uh, what this costs 199 dollars uh for one uh for one pod and you can get a three pack for i think 399 but but uh, an, an interesting dis- discount the others are tend to be twice as that but the other problem is that because they're marketed more towards a knowledgeable networking savvy consumer they're not really easy to set up. They're not really easy to maintain. Whereas Google, you all you set it up all through the Google Home app, and it is as easy to set up as as a smart speaker, really. And I'll be damned. It, it really was as quick to set up. It took me like less than 10 minutes to get this up and running and also configured the way that I want it. Uh, so it's not just that it's easy to set up. When I have visitors coming over, it's very, very easy to set up a guest network for them where I know that they will have access to the internet, but not access necessarily to my servers. And uh, when I want to expand this, if I want to do things within the future, I won't be blocked by the, uh, uh, by the learning curve, I, I won't have to, I won't have to climb the side of a mountain to get to this place where I want to be. So I won't be discouraged to try to do cool things with this thing because it is very very easy to set up. Um, now, bad things about it, um, nothing bad. Bad. There's one thing I really don't like about it. I'll save it for the last. But um, like I said, this is kind of a consumer e version of Pro. Um, it is very very fast. But the the hardwire to your uh, to your cable modem is one is a, it's a one gigabit Ethernet connection, and yikes, it's it's not terrible. But the other the other devices that I mentioned from Eero and Netgear they use ten gigabit Ethernet. That's not a problem for me right now because I don't subscribe to uh, full like one gigabit uh, internet service uh, to my to my ISP. But remember that I used the, my Eero, my, my old Eero setup for years and years and years. Maybe in two, three, four, five years, I will it will become more affordable and more practical for me to get uh, greater than one gigabit speed uh, on my internet connection. And that also doesn't necessarily mean that uh, I, I couldn't use it here and now because, like I mentioned, I have a I have a file server that I often transact data to. I'm ripping DVDs and copying like nine uh, terabyte files excuse me nine terabyte files nine gigabyte files uh, to and fro this thing and maybe i would enjoy having that kind of extra headroom particularly if i have like house guests and lots of people are doing lots of things at the same time so that's kind of a bummer that they didn't go for a, a 10 gigabit connection uh, kind of strange given that this does feature in, in terms of the radio all the most modern standards that you would possibly want in a in a mesh Wi-Fi router, uh, that's that's kind of weird. Um, in my tests, I did keep the old. It's it's hard. It's uh, it's almost. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, invalid <laughs> to compare uh, Wi-Fi networks that they're inside my house. I mean, I am compare. I was comparing it to an old <laughs> years years old Eero setup, and then also to the Wi-Fi router that's built into my cable modem, and of course, it kicked fortunately it kicked the butts of both of them um i'm relying i don't have uh, those competing uh eero and netgear uh, 6e mesh networks uh but uh, i've 
read reviews on CNET and elsewhere, uh, and they consistently indicate that the uh, the Google Nest Wi-Fi Pro is slower than both of them. Not not excrementally slower, but slower. Uh, so it, it's it's uh, uh, it's not a photo finish third. Uh, it is a distinct third, but is a respectable third. So that's kind of all I want because I, I, again, I'm not hosting and I'm not hosting a, a Discord. I'm not hosting anything that's really, really uh, that 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 transacts that much data. So it's not not that big a deal. I would have been very, very steamed if it turned out that oh well, this is this is on paper this is twice as fast as the Wi-Fi router I had. Uh, in reality, it's only ten percent faster. I would have been a little bit cheesed by that. Okay, so what was the actual thing that kind of that really did cheese you off about this? Okay, now when Google first announced this, we were mentioning that it, it looks like a giant Mentos, like a giant breath mint. And, uh, I got the white; it's, it was available in white, kind of a flesh tone, um, a shade of yellow that I'm going to refer to as I'm properly hydrated. I don't need to drink anymore. And a shade of blue that used to find again in bathroom fixtures from like the seventies. So of course I went with white. I'm glad that Google is going with kind of a designer ish sort of motif because as it's a, it's a, it's a radio beacon so that you don't want to hide it in, inside a cupboard. It has to be sort of out maybe on a high shelf to, to be of greatest use. And if it's going to be, looking at if it's going to be looking out at uh, at other people and other people looking back at it it probably shouldn't look like one of the uh one of the evil spaceships from babylon 5 with all these sticky outy angular antennas uh, and a crown of <laughs> crown of evil uh like a sauron <laughs> like from the lord of the rings or whatever uh, so it kind of looks like in the in the pictures that they released of it before it was actually put out there, it looks like oh, it's a like a por- a porcelain sort of rounded vase without an opening at the top of it. it. Has no purpose, but okay, it looks it reflects the light. It looks pretty. Now, if Apple had done this, I know, I know, I don't want to be one of those none of the, one of those jerks who's oh well, this is Apple wouldn't have done this way. But okay, if Apple had done this, it would be a beautiful, gorgeous object that if you had if one of these turns up in a Goodwill. Uh, in like uh, six years from now, if it had been made by Apple, the people who are doing the sorting from all the donations might have put it in with like home decor, home de- decoration, home furnishings. They might not have recognized what it was that it was. It should be a, a, an electronic gadget because it would be smooth. It would be perfect. It would be wonderful. Maybe it would actually have like kind of a ceramic coating to it. Well, probably not because of radio interference, but you know, but you're getting it. You know what I'm getting at. If they're going to go for a beautiful decorative object, they would have made sure it's a beautiful decorative object. And then there's Google. There is a big, big honking seam right around that bisects this entire thing where the two halves of the plastic shell come together. And I don't mean that it's I, and I don't I don't even mean that, oh well, you can see that this is this is a two-piece construction. No, I mean like there is like a gap, a visible black dark gap where there should be <laughs> two pieces of plastic mating together or some sort of a flange that sort of obscures it but no it is a black it's like a black line that bisects it and i know i make fun of people who like look at 
a, a technical gadget and say, oh, look, that camera bump is simply, I want to throw up in my mouth. Okay, number one, no, you don't. Number two, where else would you throw it up in? I mean, at least be clever about this. But yeah, it's like, oh, I just don't like it. It it does it it doesn't it doesn't make me wish I'd bought anything else. I don't I, I'm not being that silly, but oh my god, that's kind of ridiculous. So overall, yeah, I'm really, really happy with it. But with a couple of caveats that number one, again, for me, it was the the uh, the uh, ticking clock where I needed to replace something and I had some free money that was gonna expire. For $99, this is one hell of a deal for me. And if uh, Black Friday deals uh, drop the price to a really to a lower level. That would also be a very very interesting thing for people people to look at look at if they've got an old old router and it's time for them to to upgrade. Um, if you don't if you're happy with what you got now, yeah, definitely hold off for a year or two because the only reason why this is such a bargain compared to those other two is because this is just for people who want. Uh, Wi-Fi 6E right now. They don't want to wait for it to become more of a commodity. Um, uh, you, you may you may disagree with me on the seam. I hope you do, uh, but that's not a reason not to buy it. But yeah, I'm very I'm very I'm very very happy with it for the setup, for the performance, for everything else. I'm very very happy with it. So if it uh, if if it follows up on me, you'll hear about it. But uh, one last thing is that there there are a lot of things that I trust Google for, and one of them is that I do trust them when it comes to uh, to security. They take that super, super seriously. They are proactive about it, not just for their own products, but for Apple products, for everything that's out there on on the internet. So I'm very, very certain that this is going to get very, very frequent and aggressive updates to keep my network safe. It's going to be very, very easy to apply those uh, to apply those updates. And anytime I, it will give me the ability to give people access to my network while making it very, very easy to take that access back whenever I want it or uh, to modify it so that I'm only giving them as much access as I want them to have. For, for instance, it's very, very easy to, to flag that, hey, I'm letting, I, I'm, uh, if a new neighbor is moving in and I know them and they're they're good people and it's going to take them a few weeks before they get their internet service hooked up, sure, I'll, I'll have, I'll let them have access to my network, but it will be very, it would be very, very easy for me to say, by the way, whenever I'm on Zoom, whenever I'm on this uh, video conferencing app that I'm using to do my podcast or my live streams for, that crush every single other connection that's using this Wi-Fi access point and give this at least three quarters of the bandwidth that's available to the entire network or simply say, okay, you can have it, but you can have like kind of crappy, like hotel room <laughs> level Wi-Fi uh, broadband access. All that stuff is very, very easy to do because not only do they make things very, very safe, but they make things very, very easy. And that for me is a very, very big advantage. I didn't really realize how little time I'd spent mucking around with my uh, Verizon built-in Wi-Fi router until I've started mucking around with it again, as I kind of reset my entire, all my Wi-Fi stuff uh, uh, when I was setting up this new Google thing. And you can't, you, you really can't set it and forget it when it comes to a networking device, something that exposes your network to the outside internet. And I think that this will help me uh, to be more of a good, more of a good citizen and more of a proactive defender of the faith when it comes to, uh, when it comes to networking on my own stuff. Okay, we're going to take another break. And after that, we're going to talk about Google AI at Google at whatever, whatever they're calling it, their artificial intelligence day back after this. This episode of material is brought to you by express VPN. You've probably heard by now that you should be using a VPN when you connect to the internet, but adding an extra step to anything you do every day can sound like a hassle. 
Well, if you knew how easy it is to protect your connection with ExpressVPN, you'd be doing it already. ExpressVPN is the easiest way to browse safely, securely, and just better. Now, I like to use VPN because you know I like to get on the internet and pretend like I'm in another part of the country. VPN is the absolute easiest way to do this without actually leaving your home. It's way cheaper than buying plane tickets to go use the internet in another country. ExpressVPN gets rid of all those things you hate about VPNs. It's a VPN done right. First of all, it's blazing fast. Lots of other VPNs slow your connection to the point where it's not even worth it to connect. But ExpressVPN doesn't lag or buffer. You can stream in HD with no issues. And using it couldn't be easier. Just open the ExpressVPN app, click one button, and enjoy instant protection across all your devices. The fact is, once you connect to ExpressVPN, you don't even realize you have it on. But your connection is secure, your data is encrypted, and you can spoof your location so you can have access to content available outside your region. No wonder it's been called the best VPN by CNET. Right now, go to expressvpn.com slash material, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash material to get three extra months of ExpressVPN. expressvpn.com slash material are thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. Well, we've certainly been hearing a lot from Google about artificial intelligence for years and years and years. Sundar Pichai sort of put his own stamp on his regime when he became CEO of Alphabet and the head of Google by defining Google as an artificial intelligence-powered company, not just to make sure that people know that it's not just Google search, that we do artificial intelligence and that AI research helps to power a lot of the great stuff that we are doing and all the services that we're doing. 2022 has been a very, very interesting year. Uh, and a, after, after a couple of very, very interesting years, the watchword that uh, Pichai has been uh, echoing time and time again this year has been the macroeconomic <laughs> uh, perspective that a lot of bad things have been happening for Google financially. Not as bad as as Facebook, for, uh, certainly. They've been uh, Google has been having very, very good quarters. However, they uh, were very, very have been very, very frank in their quarterly results about how uh, the Changes to the economy, the international economy and the international exchange rates have had definite effects upon the ad market. And it's been very, very important for them to reassure investors, analysts, uh, future employees, current employees that they're not they're not like Facebook. They're not run by an idiot who is investing tens of billions of dollars in a product that nobody wants. That no, 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 we're we're still profitable. Our rate of uh, our, our rate of expansion is not as great as it, as it has been in the past. But we are built upon a very, very solid foundation. Um, and so, and that foundation is artificial intelligence. Uh, however, that does come with some downsides because there are nobody. How many uh, science fiction horror movies have been based upon the precept of artificial intelligence going nuts and trying to kill us all? That go, go, it goes all the way back to the '60s, the '50s, maybe even the '40s. And this is something that people don't really understand. They uh, all, all people in general know about it is that it's an exceptionally powerful thing. And like the lost Ark of Government, it has to, Covenant, it has to be researched. So they have a lot of reassurances to make that not only are they uh, 
doing wonderful things in artificial intelligence, but they're doing things in a very, very sane, safe, responsible way that just as Google has to convince people that you can trust us with your personal information and your personal security, you can trust us not to unleash hell upon a society in general because we found a way that artificial intelligence can increase uh, the rate of ad adoption uh, and can sort of turn around a certain graph. And that was really all about AI day. It is. It was kind of a weird thing, though, because um, I didn't attend, but it seemed to be very much like the uh, Made by Google event that uh, Flo and I attended last month. Very, very small, like 100 people in a tiny little like arts event space. But what really gets your attention is the fact that they got out, they brought out a whole long list of very, very expensive executives, starting with Sundar Pichai. Um, it always gets my attention whenever there's an event where they brought up the CEO. Um, and the reason for that is that a CEO's time is unbelievably valuable. Uh, you, you almost, nobody would fault, uh, uh fault a, a company for, uh, owning like a private jet, uh, for a CEO, because the amount of time, if there's, if, if they have to waste, even just 15 minutes in a first class lounge that is time they need they should be do they should be using working to having some sort of a meeting to have some sort of face to face being briefed on some sort of a project to be making some sort of a decision to sign off on things so the fact that they hauled his butt all the way out there uh, to give an introduction to give a, a very very kind of disposable introduction to what was to an event that really could have been handled just by releasing uh, some pre-prepared YouTube videos was very, very interesting. And all of the speakers were vice presidents and senior vice presidents whose time is also very, very valuable. So given that they weren't announcing anything that was a commercial product, this wasn't like the made by Google event where they're trying to get people excited about buying a watch, buying a new phone uh, in the future, buying a tablet. This was all about ideas. This was all about, again, waving the flag and, I don't want to make it as simple as PR because there were some significant topics that were that were announced, but I think it's because they understand the concept of user interface, and I mean the human user interface. It's one thing to put all of the stuff that, hey, you can trust us. Hey, we believe in ethical AI. Hey, we're going slow with this. It's one thing to put that as a line item in a press release or even as a talking head like in a studio inter studio video that they post to YouTube that lasts three or four minutes. It's kind of another thing when you see a person who's not famous. They're not famous in the tech world. They've never been sort of forward-facing by the company. Read their expressions. Hear the tone in their voice. They're not necessarily reading off a script. They certainly prepared what, the, what they were going to say, but do you believe them? Are they sincere? Does this seem like PR or does this seem like an opportunity for them to explain why they think their work is so important? And I do think that they achieved that, though, again, you have to always keep in mind that this is a tactical uh, – it seems – dismissive to call it a performance but this was a very very tactically chosen thing it's not as though there was a spontaneous conversation between researchers and that, that this came out for um but yeah so uh, they were very very deliberate in their messaging too uh, not only mentioning making sure people know that hey look our official intelligence is our secret sauce it powers and enhances everything it's it's our msg uh, we, 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 if, if, if you will like every product that I, that we make, because we sprinkle some of this AI inside of everything, um, very, very little like tech, 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 techie 
research sort of stuff, mostly broad stuff that could be understood by uh, by regular civilians. Uh, most of the stuff that I think that that was tech, 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 they were leaving for research papers two or three times. They mentioned, oh, well, this will be in a paper that we're going to be publishing next week. Uh, but it was consistent messaging where, number one, here's the work that we're doing. Number two, here's how it's going to help people. Number three, yes, you can trust us. Uh, and all done with the personal touch. I think that almost every speaker that uh, came out to present over this 45-minute presentation, uh, this couldn't have been an accident that there was some sort of a personal photo like in the slide deck. Like here I am like next to a connect- connections machine uh, computer where I was starting my, my career as an AI researcher or here, is, uh, here are some of the pictures that I take of blah, blah, blah. Uh, again, making sure that you understand that this isn't a faceless corporation. Here are some of the faces associated with that corporation, i.e., please try to trust us that we are real human beings that uh, that care about our work. Uh, and you can you can judge for yourself whether or not it was effective. Uh, it's of course the entire presentation is up on YouTube, uh, which is where I saw it. Uh, and uh, part of that other part of that uh, specific messaging is. Uh, uh, I've got my notes in front of me here, the control over artificial intelligence systems that uh, drafting all of these tools that they're creating, such as uh, uh, such as, again, AI art creation tools, AI writing tools as not, hey, we've got a computer that can take over the job of an artist. More like here is an artificial intelligence that is can can be used as a tool for artists, as a tool for artists, as a tool for uh, for for data researchers, uh, it's you, you control it and you use it. It's not just something that spits out results through very very mysterious means that nobody, including us, will understand. Um, also, uh, I have to say that that was a, that was a very important point for me because that is the one consistent rage point I've had throughout my life of dealing with technology is when it's an automated system that I can't control or I can't correct uh, and. I don't, you don't think of an auto reverse cassette deck as artificial intelligence, but it is the classic example of what I'm talking about. Like one of my uh, uh, earlier cars had a, had a tape deck in it and had, uh, of course, a cassette adapter for my iPod. And uh, either the adapter or the deck went a little bit wonky and would auto reverse it uh, like at random. And oh my God, I've never had road rage like this, <laughs> not towards drivers, towards this damn tape deck. Where I'm just like almost yelling at it. Just do nothing, okay? Do don't make any decisions whatsoever, and you'll work perfectly. You'll make me extremely happy. In modern terms, it's the idea of uh, an auto sync uh, without manual refreshing. So if, if I, uh, I wonder why why the pictures I took on my phone why aren't they on, on Google Photos yet? I need to have a button that says refresh manually right now, so that I know that whatever's happening, the bottle link is not that. Uh, it's not refreshing, all that sort of stuff. So that's that is a very, very powerful human element. You need to feel as though you have control over this. More, <laughs> even at the basic level of, I know where this robot is plugged into the wall, so I can unplug it and stop its murderous rampage if necessary. Um, but also equally important, and this was a deliberate message, is that we are putting these out these. Uh, artificial intelligence uh, feature powered features out very, very slowly, very, very deliberately um, that this was something that was mentioned uh, a couple of times, particularly when it comes to AI generative art, because a lot of uh, ever since uh, uh, ever, ever since some of these uh, generative art AI systems were open sourced, 
I wouldn't say that there's been a flood of these tools put out there, but it is possible to use Dolly 2. It is possible uh, to use some of these tools to create gener- AI generative art. Uh, and uh, Google has been saying that even though we do have our tools, we will show them what we've been doing with them. The fact that we haven't been releasing them is not because they're not as good, if not better, but because we don't know yet what kind of rules we need to put into place in order to make this happen. Um, Not only to protect people from uh, being abused through this imagery, not uh, not only to prevent the spread of disinformation, but also we have to use ethical AI guidelines to make sure that – when the AI generates an image based on a prompt, that uh, that AI, excuse me, that image is not going to be racist. It's not going to be biased. It's going to treat everybody sort of equally. It's not going to essentially create more problems for for people. Um, now, a couple of couple of things that uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, also, I, I'm here's my my summary notes. Uh, quote: We rock at this. Unquote. Of course, making some flex that say, "Hey, look, we're just because we haven't been shipping a lot of AI products doesn't mean that you haven't been using them in our uh, in our Google uh, in our Google stuff uh, services and features. Uh, we're really really good at this." Also, I'm another note: "Quote: We're making AI stuff that helps people today and will solve problems tomorrow." Unquote. So don't think of this as uh, we're don't 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 think of us as something like the energy industry where we are fracking <laughs> we are fracking half of the half of the United States ruining everybody's drinking water to extract ounces of blood and leaving a region destitute and, and, and uninhabitable for our profits it's like no 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 we're 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 going to be making money from this but these are things that are going to be helping out people a couple of things that i found interesting one interesting one odd no talk about privacy uh, which is seems to be almost an automatic drumbeat when uh, Google tries to uh, explain itself to the public. Um, I don't know how that would have been necessarily relevant though, in this case. So maybe that's not suspicious. Um, also what did surprise me is though, no talk about Waymo. Uh, their automate their self-driving taxi service, because that is something that does uh, leverage a lot of artificial intelligence, a lot of machine vision, a lot of, uh, a lot of tools that seem to be very, very relevant. Maybe, and they are expanding Waymo into new markets. They're expanding into Los Angeles uh, very, very soon. And and it's also the sort of magical sort of thing that that is easy to demo and easy to explain. So I wonder why they didn't talk about that. Maybe because uh, maybe because they haven't really gauged yet what people think about driverless cars. Uh, admittedly, I'm on the I'm on that exact same page. Um, to me, driverless cars, driverless taxis are in that category of, uh, uh tech companies saying, Hey, cool. We found a way to like fire a whole bunch of people <laughs> that great. Congratulations, Uber. Now we can, now you can basically have your, have your ride sharing service without having to actually share any money with anybody, uh, any human beings. So man, maybe that'd be part of it. So, but so they did actually divide this into specific sections. Uh, I'll kind of brush through my outline, my notes here, uh, quote, AI for social good. That was actually one of the, uh, headline topics. And they've talked about flood forecasting where they have AI models that will, uh, that were sending 150 million flood notification alerts to 23 million people in India and Bangladesh, uh, in doing so triple the number of people who received alerts, quadrupled the number of people who had taken access, taken action. Um, the announced product announcement that they were saying that they're expanding their flood forecasting from this limited region to many countries that uh, are in Africa, South America, and Sri Lanka. 
Uh, similarly, models are predicting wildfires. Uh, they're predicting wildfire boundaries, tracking them in real time, uh, predicting the spread. Um, they're also announcing that, again, they're, now, they're expanding wildfire tracking to North America, Australia, uh, et cetera. Uh, let's look at some other company, uh, other countries. Uh, in both of these cases, not just, hey, if you Google search for, hi, am I about to be wiped out by a flood? Uh, do I get a, an answer, yes or no? But we're talking about them working with local agencies to uh, both be informed by their data and give their own data back to them so that they can, the people who have boots on the ground can uh, help save lives, save property. Um, they also mentioned that they're using, uh, they're identifying damage, damaged buildings after hurricanes and other natural disasters, again, through AI and through satellite imagery to help direct relief efforts, specifically recent hurricanes in Florida and Pakistan. Uh, a lot of applications in medicine, uh, maternal health, ultrasounds. Uh, they were speaking a lot of about uh, uh, retinal disease assessment, uh, automated retinal disease assessment, ARDA, um, early diagnosis of diabetes-related blindness. And this is uh, not surprising. It's sort of the bread and butter use of machine learning that here is you, you feed the, the machine learning model just hundreds of thousands of images of retinas and it learns the patterns that the, the patterns of imagery that indicates uh, 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 diabetic retinopathy, retinopathy, uh, people who are going uh, at, at risk of going blind because of their diabetes related illnesses. Uh, so and showing what stage they're in. And so announcement being, hey, they're expanding ARDA for external eye screening, uh, a tool that works with uh, consumer phones. So uh, it can get you. So you don't necessarily have to be within uh, driving distance of an ophthalmologist or, or other doctors that here's an app on a phone so that a properly trained people who is near you can do the diagnosis. This has always been very, very interesting. Even years and years and years ago, I was at the media lab and uh, at MIT being shown a very, very simple little attachment that can be put onto the screen of a smartphone, like a little plastic lens and like sort of a cardboard shroud that, uh, that can deliver an eye test again with almost any normal smartphone. Uh, it's not like, it's kind of like the, the reverse of, uh, uh, these retinal disease assessments, which are using the, the cameras and smartphones to take pictures of the eye. We're talking about like, you're looking at patterns that are being projected onto, uh, this smartphone screen to, diagnose eye diseases and also what kind of distortions are you are are you uh, are you experiencing so that again people who don't have uh, geographical access to uh, to uh, eye examinations can again a properly trained person who spent maybe three dollars on this little plastic lens and a shroud and installed this app on their phone can uh, do an eye di- can can essentially generate a prescription for somebody and they can receive their, their eyeglasses through the mail later on and greatly improve their vision. So there's, there's a lot of possibility here. Uh, the next section was AI for creativity. And here's where we talk about generative AI. And a lot of it was uh, reassuring really, because we're still at that stage where people are really, really worried about, are we not going to be able to tell whether or not this, this photo is real or generated by somebody with a generative AI uh, model at their disposal and a grudge and a, and a, and, and, a, and an agenda uh, are, are people like me who write things for a living. Are we out of business because it's all going to be generated by AI. Uh, and of course this was, this was an opportunity for them to talk about Lambda again, about their dialogue engine. And uh, they, as a demonstration of what they could do with Lambda by extending their dialogue engine and also the amount of restraint that they had, uh, they showed off their quote WordCraft Writers Workshop. That's a that's a media thing to have to say into a microphone, but I hope I did it okay. 
Um, so they, they, they're mostly talking about it as experimentation, saying that they discover that using Lambda to write full fiction stories is a dead end, that they, it just doesn't really work. Um, they're saying, quote, is much more effective when used to, quote, add spice, unquote, so that um, they were finding that um, it can't tell it, it can't write a story about dragons. But if you have just written a story, if you've just written about the a line about the dragon saying the eye was big and roundy and scary, like, OK, I don't I'm, I'm now looking at that in my second or third draft that needs to be pepped up a little bit. And if you're stuck, highlight it. Lambda might be able to suggest something better uh, or something or come up with three more sentences uh, to expand on how well it works. Um, they're made a big deal about how the user interface for these kind of writing tools has to be right. Uh, saying that the UI of WWW here is to empower writers to work with the generative AI. They describe it as a text editor with a purpose. Uh, you can actually, they didn't release anything that you could actually play with. However, they did release uh, some short stories that, they got a dozen different writers to uh, gave them access to this and told them to write short stories using this as a tool. They're all posted on the uh, AR research blog. They're, they're pretty good that the, I don't know if it's a problem, but you don't know which you don't know where the AI tool really came into, came into effect. Like how much of this was um, an artificial intelligence that very, very smartly came up with something very, very shrewd that uh, was very, very applicable and that the writer was then able to take and run with how much of it was just, Hey, I've got there. You can actually get writer's tools that are just like five dice with verbs and nouns on them and just roll them. And it says, uh, <laughs> character moved backwards, uh, in private. I don't know, whatever. And maybe that will trigger something. Sometimes you, you, you flip a dictionary to a random page and that will trigger something. So uh, I, th- I don't think we'll understand how well these things work until we understand how creativity works. Um, there was another section talking about code, the learning for code project. This is another kind of controversial area where uh, you can describe what you want a piece of code to do by text and because uh, tools from Google and Microsoft, actually Microsoft is more uh, more notorious here, have scraped like gajillions of GitHub repositories uh, for co- comparing the comments, commented code to the actual code. It can spit out legitimate code to do the thing that you simply described doing. Now the problem there is that are you have you just stolen a whole bunch of uh, of code for that uh, other person wrote without crediting them? If this code was released legitimately as open source, are you uh, legally fulfilling the requirements of that open source license if you're not simply saying, oh, by the way, this piece of code was created by so-and-so. It was released under such and such a license. Very, very controversial. And then without even talking about the problem of, well, you've got you've – got, it's, it's scary to think that someone like me who is an okay coder – absolutely nowhere near professional standard but if i could if, but if i if my side hustle were using generative ai to write code i took a gig to write the safety system software for a hydroelectric plant and i don't understand I, all i know is that this code works i don't understand how it works I, I can't really read this code that's been generated that's a that's a substantial problem uh so they say that's uh they've in terms of their learning for code project, they've had it's early days, but they've seen a 6% increase in code generation time. Good for them. Um, audio, they have a new system called audio LM, which can extend an audio clip based on a short sample. So that, uh, if you, if you were to, uh, hum 
it would be able to take that clip and turn it into continue that piece of music, not just by looping it, but by sort of saying, well, again, identify patterns, repeat that pattern, uh, or uh, generate new patterns that have that's those same characteristics. Very, very interesting. Uh, we'll see how useful it turns out to be. Uh, we got into the meat of the thing, however, images and video, however. Uh, so they have two engines called Imogen and Party. Uh, Party is more about the text and text image, meaning it's very, very good at listening to the text prompt and making the right image based on the prompt that's been given. Imogen is more about the quality of the image itself. So it's, that's gen- better at generating high-resolution stuff. It's uh, When I started writing and talking about this last year, of course, the easy demo was, okay, how about uh, a, do- a, a spaceman drawn like Picasso? And that's the very, very simple, like, you know, glib sort of way to do it. But that was pretty much all you could demonstrate with it. Now, uh, they're, they've got this project called Dream Booth, which is they call it like a personalized photo booth. And here's where these, these tools get very, very interesting, where you can like in with Dream Booth, you can just drop in they, the, demo, the, the demo that they gave was dropping in some pictures of a corgi. And now uh, Dream Booth will let you drop that subject into any other image so that now that knows that, OK, here is the source image here's the source subject now i want that dog to be piloting a spaceship i want that dog to be uh uh, uh to be held uh, here's another picture of uh, my best friend holding a cat i want them to be holding that dog instead that's where things get kind of powerful and kind of creepy uh next but then we get into stuff like a uh, very very interesting dream fusion which was that sort of thing but it can create 3D objects based on prompts. So you can describe a 3D object. It will export it as a 3D model, and then you could uh, put it into 3D software and then animate it. That's that's the sort of thing that I'm that gets very very exciting because uh, just like with it, which with image creation, there are people who have a fantastic imagination. They just don't know how to paint, or they don't have that sort of spatial coordination between their mind's eye and their hands and the paintbrush and the paints to actually make that happen. However, if they can describe it to an AI, can it create it? So imagine I've got an idea for a monster, or if I've got a, I've got an idea uh, for a product I want to design. I can simply describe it and then describe modifications to it. And now I have this object that I can then put into a 3D scene. That's pretty cool. Now, cool and dangerous. <laughs> How many times have we said that Google technology tends to be at the intersection between, oh my God, that's really cool. And oh my God, that's really creepy and scary. Now they've expanded uh, generative AI into video. Um, this is, as I, I wrote this, I, I quote, wrote down this quote. They said, they VP was saying it's surprisingly hard to generate images that are crisp and coherent in time. So they've added uh, tweaks to Imogen, uh, same sort of neural diffusion technique that can create short videos of objects that are actually in motion. And here we're talking about with Imogen, mostly like like an animated GIF, like a short loop of uh, give give me a giraffe nodding its head. So we'll give you a giraffe that's sort of nodding its head. Okay, it looks nice. Um, then they show they have this other model called uh, Fanaki, which pulls in language tokens, which can create long-term videos, long-form videos that have some kind of a story to it. And when you combine the two of them, wow, that was an, an impressive demo where they wrote a story, just lines of text, sort of like descriptions of if if you were to be storyboarding a video. Of uh, here is a, a little artsy video of um, a, a blue balloon in a tree. 
and we pan out. So we pan up to this tree, hold on this balloon that's sort of being that's stuck in the tree and it's being sort of tumbled in the wind, but stuck in the tree. Then we pan to the left and we uh, pan on like the, the legs of a giraffe. Then we pan up to the actual giraffe itself and the giraffe, then like we follow the, we pull back a little bit and the giraffe nuzzles the balloon and nuzzles it free and it floats away line after line for line. Like if you were to draw thumbnails, if you were to draw uh, like just keyframes of what you wanted and it actually put together uh, a very credible video just based on those prompts. And just here's a script. Here's a text file line for line for line of what I want the camera to do, what I want the camera to follow, not terribly specific. And the resulting video in this, in this this hand selected demonstration, it should be added, uh, was actually very credible. Now, it looked kind of rough. It kind of looked like you'd put this very, very artsy, artsy, artsy filter over it. Didn't look photographic at all, but it did look like <laughs> uh, imagine an eight millimeter photo that has been in your grandparents' attic for about for about 40 or 50 or 60 years it looked like originally it had been like photographic quality and it just had a the the film had been hard life had hard life um now they didn't actually release anything here they uh they they announced that they're going to be releasing a couple of new features to their ai test kitchen app that's the app that they released to for people who want to play with lambda uh to this one where hey uh I want to interview a paper airplane about what it's like to be a paper airplane. It will generate a conversation between you two. So they're adding two things. One for AI, uh, uh, generative uh, AI image creation. One is called City Dreamer, where you get to design cities. Cities. Another is called Wobble, where you get to design monsters. And they design very, very pretty, like cute, like cartoonish monsters. They haven't released it yet. I'm, of course, I'm on the wait list for it. Um, but the overall thing that they're trying to point out here is that they're building these tools to, uh, quote, they're unlocking creative agency, unquote, organize information, foster creativity, and preserve creativity. So it's not about uh, models that you know, push the button, get a picture. It's about interaction between the AI and the creative human to create exactly what they want to do. Um, and the quote here, technology should serve our need to have agency and creative control over what they do. Uh, but the last part about all this is uh, about responsible AI. And again, I really had to hit this home. Uh, quote, we have to acknowledge the risks if we were to release them without great care. Uh, quote, I'm proud that we've been slow in releasing them. Sen- uh, this was a, a senior vice president, uh, AI in charge of AI research. Uh, and they called out issues such as toxicity, disinformation, and bias. Quote, we don't want to make it even easier to blur the distinction between what's real and what isn't. Quote, there are a lot of open questions related to how this technology will impact the lives of creative people. We want to be very careful about how we create data sets and user experiences. Um, so they're focusing on three key areas. Again, I'm quoting uh, control and safety, helping to identify generative AI. Uh, they've in this in this area, they said that in audio, they've trained a, a classifier that can detect synthetic speech with 99% accuracy uh, and also building for everyone. Uh, they want to continue to work with artists, writers, musicians, creators to understand their needs and build tooling that matters for the community. Um, so, yeah, they're, the message they're trying to say is that at least the research that comes out of Google for generative AI will not be about making it harder for artists to get work, but more like making it easier for artists to do the work that they do. And also to increase the pool of people who can credibly call themselves artists. So again, people who have that imagination, but don't have that connection between the imaginative part of their brain and their hands and the tools and the medium. 
which are things that I, I approve of. But remember, the, the world is bigger than Google, unfortunately. And so we don't, we're not getting these statements from everybody. Um, a lot of the other stuff was, again, about uh, uh, inclusivity. Make sure that this is, this is uh, something that uh, Google's former uh, lead ethical AI uh, researchers were publishing in their papers that a lot of artificial intelligence is uh, exclusive. It excludes people, excludes groups. It allows people who are in, in powerful groups to maintain a hold on their power and continue to marginalize, marginalize peoples. Um, so they made a big point about how they're expanding Google Translate through artificial intelligence. They have a new uh, pathways language model uh, uh that uh, uh, that can that will help them to expand the number of languages that Google Translate can uh, can support. That uh, they said that there are seven thousand pe- languages spoken around the world. Only a few are represented online today, which is the source of the bias because these AI models need to be trained on examples of this conversation. And most of the conversations happening in America, excuse me, in the world are English and Chinese. Uh, you go on Reddit, there is not a whole lot of people who uh, make who speak a sub-dialect of a regional language uh, who are posting on Reddit. And that's unfortunately the data set that a lot of these models are being trained on. So it takes a lot of, of desired uh, directed work in order to make that happen. Uh, so like, so for instance, like they mentioned Swahili, there's not a whole lot of examples of it on the web, so it's underserved. So uh, they added two, 24 new languages to Google Translate, a uh, total of 133 right now. And they also announced an initiative they're calling the 1000 Languages Initiative, where they're trying to develop a model that supports 1000 languages, where it's multimodal. So it's not just text, but also speech and videos. Um, they're developing a universal speech model that's trained on 400 languages, which they say is the largest speech model today. Um, they're trying to make sure that they are integrated with uh, communities, people who actually use these languages. Um, they announced support for nine more African uh, continental languages in Gboard, uh, and they said they did this by working with researchers and organizations uh, in, the, in those communities uh, that they're going to be collecting local speech from across regions and dialects uh, and engaging with the broader research community. Uh, and they, they, they're saying that it's a multi-year journey and they're setting a critical foundation for making language-based artificial intelligence helpful to everyone. Um, so yeah, they're so not just, here's what we're doing, but we want to get AI right. But so you can, you can, you can see uh, where all this was going. Once again, we are at the forefront for a company that says that we are an AI based company. We want to flex a little bit and let you know that we are absolutely at the forefront front of AI research. However, we are not just doing tech bro sort of stuff that sounds cool to people who are making $500,000 a year and live in the uh, live in San Jose. We want to actually make things that are useful and help people's lives. And also you can trust us that we're not going to create AI robots that enslave us all. Terminator three, four, five, six, seven, or eight are great fiction. We don't think it's a good business model. How well this will work for them. <laughs> they've now they've got to actually come through with all this stuff. It's uh, as we have seen, it's a, uh, uh, and Google as no less than any other company is one thing to have a really nice event where you bring the CEO of uh, your parent company out to talk about how important these principles are. What we find, what we are waiting for are stories from people who work at these companies and who have been fired from these companies. We want them to be telling the same story of on balance. Yes, they're doing a good job. It's much better now than it was five years ago. So we must wait and see. It's, it's, it can be a little bit frustrating reporting on stuff like this because um, there is value to 
say repeating basically conveying what was talked about during these events but also we have to add color to it and add background to it otherwise we're just we're we're just a mouthpiece and we can't allow ourselves to to be that so but as i said google is a company that i pretty much trust not trust with a capital t because they are also a trillion dollar with a capital t company but at least they sense the importance of at least be having a public face on uh, making sure they they tell people yes we know we, we you shouldn't just trust us uh, we are aware of these problems and we do want to actually be uh, we we actually do want to be uh, good neighbors and good people um, whether or not Dr. Tim McEbrew another former head of uh, Google AI will agree with him uh, we're waiting for their comments uh, to find that stuff out well when we come back uh, quick lightning round of great text we'll find out what that is after this. Finally, well, what is gray text? Well, it's time to clue you guys in on a little bit of inside baseball. When I create the show doc, I tend to add in more stuff than we actually need week to week because sometimes like we want to skip something and we want to skip to something else. Sometimes you never, you never know if something's going to turn into that. We, that I thought that was going to be a long conversation turns out to be actually i think we covered that very quickly so it's it's better to have more stuff and then like not use it than to <laughs> need stuff and not have it so what happens is that sometimes during oftentimes during the show or uh, during the uh, uh, when we are when we're talking before the show we decide yeah maybe we don't need that and rather than delete that whole section of the show all the research i did all the notes i took i'll just highlight it and then turn the text gray so it's there it's still in the show doc uh, when I'm preparing the next week's show doc, I know that uh, here's something we can use if we want to. hasn't been destroyed. Uh, and But usually mo- news tends to move quickly and we don't get to this old stuff. So I thought that since I'm doing a solo this week, we're going to uh, let's 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 clean out the fridge. Let's clear out the leftovers. Let's clear the docket. I've selected seven stories of uh, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six. Actually, six. Uh, anyway seven seven stories uh that uh was uh, that i made notes for i put into previous shows but have not been used yet however you're going to notice that we're already kind of at the at the end of our show we only have a few minutes left so we don't have enough time to really go into all these things in the original detail so what i did was i downloaded from the google play store uh, an interval training app this is an app that for people who are doing, okay, first you're going to do uh, 15 minutes of squat, 15 minutes of squats, and then 10 minutes of running in place, then a five-minute cool down. And so it just basically uh, repeats intervals so that you can switch to the next thing and, you know, you've done eight sets or whatever. So I've set this up to give me seven sets of one minute each. So I've got one minute <laughs> to cover each one of these topics. Uh, and I've set up a – I've also put a Bluetooth speaker uh, behind my head here to cue me and you in on how well we're doing on time. So wish me luck because the first one is really, really cool. We might have to get back to it later. So <clears throat> here we go. Ready? And two, one. Okay. Uh, number one, uh, a former Google employee and former Lytro employee put a really good uh, Twitter thread up talking about, uh, I've worked on a number of high profile failures, the Lytro light field cameras, the Google glass head mounted computer and the Google clips automatic photographer. And he made some, he tells stories about how all of them had a fatal flaw where everybody knew what the flaw was, but the culture that arose in those teams perfect purposely ignored the flaw and goes into detail with the Lytro camera. It was that this was the one where it, it gets 
like depth because of a new type of light sensor, but it only worked <laughs> for like for limited sort of situations where you could actually see it. Uh, he mentioned, but he goes into Google Glass where it had two fatal flaws. Number one, it didn't really do anything useful, and two, you look stupid while wearing it. The cultural, the culture in the Google Glass team grew to completely ignore those flaws. Huge engineering efforts were spent looking for a killer app for Glass. Uh, no one found one, but they opened it up to developers, hoping the developers would find them. They didn't find one. Ah, damn it. The lesson here is that all engineering projects develop their own cultures over time. The cultures often grow to silence or downplay fatal flaws in the product, perhaps because it could be done to keep everyone marching together. Okay, number two, perhaps related, 10 seconds late. Google showed up Project Starline in its current form. That's that uh, that conferencing feature, the conferencing thing that showed up at, at I.O. last year where you see this 3D ultra-high resolution, ultra-high frame rate uh, live chat with another human being. Uh, so they opened that up to some demos to people from The Verge and Ars Technica to let them see it live. All of them thought that, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is amazing. This is incredible. Uh, and they also uh, Google also announced that they've got some installations of this exact setup in a bunch of partner offices uh, uh partner offices uh salesforce we work t-mobile and hackensack's meridian health uh uses 16 cameras and a gang of beam formed microphones to recreate a 3d model of the person you're speaking with uh, so hopefully this doesn't fall foul of that previous one where it does nothing useful but they're going to keep doing it anyway uh next uh, Google wants to take on Dolby with new open media formats. This I thought was really, really cool. Uh, this is according to a story in Protocol. So that uh, we, uh, Apple Music and some others have been talking a lot about 3D audio, where uh, like Dolby and Dolby Atmos, where it's not just the, the, the uh, audio engineers can place the audio like anywhere around your head. So you have this incredible 3D sound field, this incredible 3D experience. It's a little bit. Uh, controversial because it's not as though it'll take like any music you have it has to be remixed for this and in the case of music where the original engineers and musicians may not still be around maybe they don't approve of this super hyperspatial uh, 3d mix the other problem is that uh, Dolby charges money for remastering it, charges money for implementation of it. So Google's idea is that the, they're working on a free open source standard for HDR video and spatial audio that and HDR video to compete with Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos. Uh, so they, without uh, charging license fees to hardware and software, uh, obvious ones that they can embrace YouTube with those features without being beholden to Dolby or be paying to Dolby. So I, I like competition. I like free stuff. I like open source. Uh, next again, eight minutes, behind, eight seconds behind YouTube tarot. Oh my God, this has been on the list for such a long play time, like May or June. Uh, Google did like a, an online tarot reading sort of service thing at tarot.withyoutube.com. And mostly it was, uh, so it, it gives you a tarot reading and they also created a, a online. It also created a, a tarot deck with like YouTube superstars. Uh, with the a YouTuber deck with all the major arcana being YouTuber superstars. Mark Marquez Brownlee as the Hermit, the Try Guys as the Wheel of Fortune, the Hacksmith as the Chariot, Mr. Beast as the Emperor, Halsey as the Empress. And like, okay, that's great. So I'm, I'm glad that these people are finally getting some attention. I'm glad they're getting some promotion from YouTube and the algorithm. Why not share some love with like other people who actually need it? Uh, there you go. Number five. Okay, I love this one. Hawkeye in the in the new in the then new Disney Plus series of uh, Hawkeye. Uh, nine to five Google spotted that Hawkeye is using a Pixel Three phone, uh, which is the same phone he was using in the Avengers Endgame movie. 
And so now obviously it's Hollywood so that they reskinned it with like their own user interface, their own like little Hollywood looking apps. But that's, that's, that's canonical. It's an interesting piece of like Avengers Marvel cinematic universe like story because uh, the fact that he had a pixel three in uh, in Endgame, but that got destroyed. But this, th- they're indicating that Hawkeye liked his pixel three enough to replace it with another pixel. Um, and given that others, given that like Apple is really, really stingy about saying, oh, you can't use our iPhones unless they're being used by a hero likable person. That's kind of stupid. I'm glad to see them being like used by by other places. I also noticed that uh, Kate Bishop, the 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 younger Hawkeye, uh, uses a Pixel 4. So this is very much a pixely world, world. Just like in Pawnee, Indiana, it was the only city in the world in Parks and Recreation where everybody loved their Windows phone because of sponsorship. Uh, okay, number six, 10 seconds behind. Latest, the cr- latest version of Chrome at that point, 94, added the controversial idle detection API. This is something that app, that uh, Google is, ha- is having to deal with every single time. There's a really, really interesting feature that could be used for good, could be used for evil, uh, could be used for good or evil by google even and they have to be aware of what it says for them to include that in chrome there was an idea uh, for there was a discussion for a, a w3c uh proposal for a way for browsers to detect when the browser is idle when the user is idle they haven't used the mouse they haven't used the keyboard which would be a very very useful thing for like a chat app to know that okay this person is away from their desk and disconnect them automatically uh and to uh, do things like that however people who are complaining about this also know it's to be a good place for like a background uh 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 uh, uh, uh a background mining app to say, oh, you're you're not using your 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 computer, therefore I can use all of your resources instead. So uh, Apple and Mozilla didn't want to use it. Chrome decided to put it in. So we'll see how that works. Uh, number seven, 40, 15 seconds behind. Okay, and the last one, YouTube testing out an offline offline download feature for the web player. This is obviously like kind of old news because I did double check to make sure. And yes, even in the web browser now, you can download uh, uh, YouTube videos so you can watch them offline on your laptop. Uh, we are that was certainly a mobile uh, mobile version before that. Uh, it just made me think about whether or not I'm and I'm a jerk for using apps that can download apps as like actual movie files. We talk about download files from YouTube. We're talking about just they're still protected. They're still secure by Google. You can't use them yourself. But when I see a video that might go away really quickly. Uh, like i don't know like a bbc reality competition show that's not being aired around here maybe i will download it so i will have it permanently uh okay did i enjoy interval timer for five stars yes i did uh okay well that does clear the docket <laughs> that was that was fun <coughs> We might have to do that again later. Uh, speaking of later, uh, Flo will be back next week. She is fully recovered. Again, wasn't a dire like a, a dire uh, health emergency. It wasn't COVID or anything like that. Again, it was just uh, fluke-like symptoms, congestion that uh, her, her lovely daughter uh, brought home from her walkabouts and in, in, in bringing home bacteria and viruses and other things from the from the rest of the world. Uh, God love everybody. I'm sure the flow would like you to know that if you go to flowrights.tech, you can see all of her writing on Gizmodo and elsewhere. She's also owe that flow on pretty much every social media outlet out there, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatevs. Uh, you can also check out my writing. I'm a not go on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can also go to relay.fm slash material uh, to leave comments, read the show notes, also become a member, sign up and uh, give us, put a little extra money in our jar 
uh, every single month that also we always appreciate that that always helps us out and we're always uh, grateful we're grateful for all of you we're also grateful uh, for a little bit of help on our on our phone bills every single month that's that's also quite nice thank you all so much for listening to us this week we hope you listen to us again next week until then have a healthy safe happy and awesome seven days bye-bye 